Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Welcome to episode 18 of TV I Say with Ashley Ray. I'm your host, Ashley Ray. I am so excited for this episode, like I am every episode, of course. This week, I have Lizzie Talbot. She is a wonderful intimacy coordinator for a number of amazing TV shows. Some you've probably watched on Netflix that have their second season coming out, like Bridgerton. And she is here to discuss the role, to discuss what it's like to be an intimacy coordinator. Obviously, some of the shows she's working on, they are currently shooting. She's not allowed to give us a lot of details on the exciting things she's working on. But we had a very, very wonderful conversation about the role and importance of intimacy coordinators. And I think it's very clear that the shows are, that are using them are, are really seeing the benefits. So that wonderful conversation will be coming up later. But before we get to that, you know what it is first. It's the watch list where I list all the TV I watched over the last week. And my God, is it so much TV this past week. I've been depressed. If you follow me on Twitter, I've been depressed. It's been a hard time. And when it's a hard time, that's what TV's for, you know? That's what we got, TV Squad, TV Club, TV I Say Squad. We got TV. So I've been watching a lot of it. So let's just jump right in. I'm going to start with my top pick. And I've decided since I'm having trouble with my clip of the week that I used to do, I've decided to just do my pick of the week. I offer you this giant watch list of television every week. But this time, I'm just going to tell you, out of this list, what do you need to actually watch? This is my pick. Young Rock. Young Rock. Young Rock. I know. I know you're like, what, Ashley, really? It's really that good. I know last week I was like, it's good. This week I'm telling you, it's even better than I thought. It just keeps getting stronger. It's so funny. I've never really seen a family sitcom like this just like find its voice and find its grounding so quickly. I love it. I just want to watch the whole season. I wish I could just watch every episode. Every cast member is so adorable. Every version of The Rock. I love every actor they hired to play him at different ages. I love the dad. I love the mom. It's a great show. Young Rock, it's who would have thought? I actually believe this is The Rock's plan to actually becoming president in 2032. Like, that's the conceit of the show is that he's running for president and looking back on his life. And I actually believe he knows wrestling fans are so intense that if he doesn't run in 2032, they will elect him anyway, because we will refuse to break kayfabe. It's a brilliant political strategy. Just hoping, you know, you get into office because 
I mean, I would never break kayfabe. If The Rock says he's the president, The Rock becomes the president. That's what the votes are going to do. So anyway, Young Rock, that is my pick. Watch it. Honestly, it is the sitcom I am most excited about out of all the new debuts. Young Rock is the one that's got me excited. After that, I did Ginny in Georgia. Ooh, this show has been getting a lot of attention on Twitter, uh, obviously with Taylor Swift calling it out for the benign joke they made about her. The daughter makes a joke to the mother that's like, oh, you go through women like Taylor Swift. Here's the thing. Taylor Swift called this joke out. She was like, how dare you make fun of me? But here's the thing. Ginny, the girl who says the joke, is a horrible character and a horrible person. Horrible character, horrible person. She just 100% is. Horrible character, horrible person. So she's this horrible person saying this horrible line. You never at any point really are rooting for her. She gets slapped throughout the show, which is a bit problematic because she's also one of the few black women in the show. And she's getting slapped left and right. And throughout, I was just like, you know what? She deserves it. You know, she kind of deserves it. Is Ginny and Georgia worth a watch? Not really. It's just a very long, confusing mess of a show. It's throwing together so many different plots and things it wants to be like a murder mystery, but also this like coming of age high school story. It's all over the place. And then it also just seems like it was written by 50 year olds who learned about teenagers through like Time Magazine articles and Twitter threads. It just feels so out of date. There's this whole part where this character has a band. I'm sure if you're, you know, Twitter savvy, you've seen the like conversation between like the biracial characters and jerk chicken and the problematic conversation that happens there of them like playing the oppression Olympics. But the guy in that role, this like boyfriend character of hers is in a band. And beyond the like, hilarity of that conversation he's in this band and they have a song called Adderall Brain and the lyrics are literally just like I wanna fly but my brain's on Adderall my brain's on Adderall and it's like supposed to be this big thing that he's like oh man we gotta call truth to power and it just feels like someone who was like oh the last book I read was Prozac Nation and kids are still upset about this and it's just like what (laughs) who came up with this So that is Ginny in Georgia. Not on my must watch list. Please don't. I don't want another Emily in Paris situation where I hate on something so much that people watch it because I hated it. And then all the hate watches get it nominated for something. So genuinely don't watch it. After that, I checked out The Crew on Netflix, Kevin James's new sitcom. This is how you know I was depressed because I was watching a Kevin James sitcom on Netflix. I'm going to start with the good Kevin James is the king of sitcoms. The man knows what he's doing. He knows how to deliver a line, a joke. He knows what he's doing. I loved King of Queens. It's one of my favorite sitcoms. I grew up watching with my mom. He's just running laps around everybody on this show. He is just doing what he has to do. He knows the character. He's playing it. He's hitting the lines. He's doing it funny. But there's just something not quite coming around. And it just feels very like Netflix was like, look, we like this show, but you can just see where the network just kept cutting down ideas that were probably supposed to be more exciting. Like there's an older black guy character that he kind of is friends with, but who also is like really funny and well played. But it's just like you can see some network hand being like, oh, well, no, like a 45 year old who watches this show is going to do this or like this. And so it just becomes this very basic CBS sitcom that isn't probably reaching its full potential. But hey, somebody was watching The Ranch on Netflix for years, right? So I think it's made for that type of audience. Up next, Bob's Burgers had a wonderful, amazing new episode. It was a a 
sort of Christmas episode. It's like after Christmas, the family is finally trying to take like a perfect photo for their Christmas photos. And they managed to capture it. And obviously hijinks ensue. I tweeted it before and I'll say it again. Bob's Burgers, best adult animated sitcom. Then I did The Great North, also on Fox, uh, right after Bob's Burgers. I loved this latest episode. I think Great North is just getting stronger and stronger. Tune in. Obviously, it shares a lot with Bob's Burgers. I love the sort of family dynamic that they're building up, especially between the dad and the daughter, which does remind me, obviously, a lot of like Bob and Tina, which is one of the dynamics of that show that just pulls me in. So the Great North has got me and you got Alanis Morissette. Going to keep watching it. I got a lot of faith. I feel like this is going to be a slow burner like Bob's Burgers, where like it's going to have two seasons out and people are going to be like, oh, my God, I just started this show and it's so good. Kind of like Superstore. Up next, 90 Day Fiance, obviously still going on 90 Day. Still checking out my reviews, I hope, on Vulture. This season is just... I like 90 Day when there are characters who... Characters, they're real people. When there are people who I truly believe in their love. And every episode this season, I just am like, oh no, these people don't love each other. Oh my goodness. You know that Yara and Jovi were my couple. If you've been reading my recaps, they were the couple I was rooting for. And even they're just like in tatters, just hating each other. And then you have Stephanie, who's just like swapping out black guys, and it is a mess. But I will never stop watching 90 Day Fiance. Then we did WandaVision. I am not going to talk about WandaVision much because goodness, everybody was talking about it online, and I am sick of the discourse. All I will say is... The grief line was fine. It was good. It made sense. And it was well delivered in the show. And that's why it hit. No one thought it was a brilliant new take on grief. No one was like, oh my gosh, WandaVision writers have just broken the mold on grief. I think most people thought it was a really beautiful scene that summarized a feeling that a lot of people have captured and conveyed in different writings and works. And, you know, it just did that with one line and That's kind of the beauty of TV and why we like TV, because it can take these grand ideas and present them in a single moment. And that was one of those moments. And that's it. But it became this whole discourse thing of people being like, how dare you think WandaVision is well written? I don't even understand why people were really super mad, but it's a good show. The finale is going to crush me and I'm ready to be crushed. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. After that, oh, I told you it's a long list. I've been watching a lot of TV and not doing my work because I am depressed. Um, I'm sorry. Up next is Close Enough, season two. Uh, that just dropped on HBO Max. 
I enjoyed the first season. The second season, I am about halfway through. It is a little fast paced for me, maybe. They're throwing in a lot of plots and some of the dialogue sometimes. I, I think there was a clip going around on Twitter of one of the characters kind of explaining superhero movies as modern mythology, which there's a lot you can agree and disagree with there. But I feel like it's a lot of that where a lot of the dialogue, I'm just like, oh, this is something that I guess 40 year olds are like, I don't know, proselytizing about and I'm listening to it. But it's funny. It's really, really funny and well written. And I am excited to finish the season up. You know, I think it would be on a list of mine. I'm working on my list of top 20 best adult animated shows. So I think it's going to make that list. So let's finish out season two and see. After that, still, we are watching Alan versus Faro on HBO. The second episode of that series came out. And I found this second episode of the series to be so much more shocking. I know a lot about the Woody Allen case. I'm sure you are not surprised to hear in high school that I loved Woody Allen movies. I mean, come on. I've told you many a times I've been polyamorous since I was 18. I was a pretentious high schooler. So of course I loved friggin' Hannah and her sisters. Come on, that was my shit back then. But around the time of college is when I realized like, oh, this this Woody Allen guy (laughs) married his daughter and all this stuff is messed up. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, And came to terms with that and was able to kind of put him aside. But this episode, I felt like revealed things that even for me as someone who was aware of what he had done in the case, like presented a lot of new information. Uh, And I still think there's a lot about Mia that they could go into that they choose not to. But they do go into his impact on her career, which you know, I am young. I was not alive when they were filming all this stuff and all this stuff was really happening. And like during the heyday of them working together. But I always kind of just thought, oh, she's like Mia Farrow. Like she's famous. Like her family's famous. She was just as famous as him. And she really wasn't like she wasn't this in-demand actress at the time. Like he really did have a control over her career that I had never really been aware of. And on top of that... (laughs) One of the things that Alan and his defenders have always said is that, sure, Alan makes movies about dating 17-year-olds and he makes movies about dating younger women, but in reality, that isn't the case. That's It's just a fictionalized thing. Well, in the second episode, they found Woody Allen's ex-girlfriend who was 16 when she started dating him. They dated from when she was 16 to 23. She was the muse behind Manhattan, so that wasn't just art. And I feel like with that, we can be done with him. (laughs) Like, you know, there it is. There it is. So, you know, say what you want about Mia. I think we have enough about Suni and this other woman to be done with Woody Allen for good. After that, I also watched The Pharmacist on Netflix, which I really, really enjoyed. I thought that was a great documentary. It came out a while ago, but it just really goes into this one man's fight to figure out who killed his son and to also help stop the opioid addiction in New Orleans. Just some of the best documentary interviews that I've seen done. So really worth checking out. You probably have already seen it because it came out like three years ago. And like I said, I am just watching TV because I am depressed. Up next on that list is Ted Lasso. Obviously. (laughs) Uh, Rewatching Ted Lasso because when I'm sad, it usually makes me happy. Uh, And obviously, Jason Sudeikis, our boy Jason, he won his Golden Globe. So just to celebrate, I was like, let me put the old Ted Lasso on. It's like my fifth watch and it is still just as good, just as heartwarming, just as funny. So again, if you did not read my piece on Ted Lasso, I'm telling you again, watch Ted Lasso. 
After that, I started painting with John, did the first two episodes there. I really like it. It's this very odd kind of travel-esque show where it's just like, honestly, I'm not sure what HBO was going for. It's a little bit like how-to or, you know, like an adult swim show a bit, but it's a little more highbrow and maybe thoughtful. I think adult swim shows are thoughtful, so hard for me to necessarily say that, but I did like it. It's a little odd. I don't know that it had a hook for me as much. I think if I cared a ton more about this guy's stories, like, you know, he's telling all these stories about hanging out with old, famous, white, rich dudes, and I'm just kind of like, whatever. But if you're into that, I'm sure it's your type of thing. And finally, I did Murder Among the Mormons, which just came out on Netflix this week, a three-part documentary series on a series of mysterious bomb explosions that happened in Utah in the 80s. Very well done documentary. I love the way that they unravel this mystery and get to the bottom of it. Absolutely worth checking out. I will say it breaks my rule, though. I've said on the podcast many times, the perfect documentary has four episodes. Murder Among the Mormons, only three. I wish it had another episode. God, I could use more TV to watch. Oh, God, I really could. But hey, that is the watch list. We got through it. We did it. There it is, you guys. All the TV that I I need more because I watched it. It's okay. We we got more TV coming soon. So it's cool. Grey's Anatomy will be back soon. So that is the watch list. Like I said, my pick of the week is Young Rock. And now stay tuned for this wonderful conversation with Lizzie Talbot. Welcome to TV, I say. I am so excited. Today, I have Lizzie Talbot, who is the intimacy coordinator on a number of amazing, brilliant shows. Some of them you've watched, some of the most watched shows. I am so excited. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about intimacy coordinators and what that role is with just so many new shows that have come out. And I think it's so great that as a society, we're realizing this is something that's important. So really excited to talk to you. How are you doing? Really well. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's great to meet you. Yeah. So I think obviously the biggest thing is there was the SNL sketch about one of the shows you've worked on that kind of specifically looked at the role of an intimacy coordinator. And it was very funny. The joke is like, oh, they basically work on porn and now they're here and they're directing the sex. How realistic was that? (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the great thing about it is they show maybe the dangers of having someone on set who is not fully trained as an intimacy coordinator, as we know that the role is established now and what training goes into it. I think that that was a really good way to highlight the dangers of employing someone who might not know what they're doing. So yeah, I think there was definitely some really good positives to take away from it. Yeah, I think there are kind of a lot of misconceptions about what you do on set and your role. Can you kind of break it down for people? Yeah, so... I think there's a couple of misconceptions about our role. The first one is that we write any of the scenes that we're choreographing. We certainly don't. They are all in the writer's room. And it's the same way that a stunt coordinator doesn't get to write the scenes of the fight. It's the same with us. Like We don't get to write the scenes of intimacy. They are scripted and then we choreograph according to what we have in the script. So that's probably the first one. The second one is that, you know, People assume that because we choreograph intimacy that we must come from the adult entertainment industry. And of course, that's not true. What we do is theatricality and what you see in the adult entertainment industry is reality. So we are definitely more about the storytelling, the smoke 
and mirrors, all of the ways that we can convince people that these two um, experiencing intimacy as opposed to anything actually happening. Yeah, I think that to me is the biggest difference. Is I kind of realized like these aren't real people having sex and you're part of the illusion and the fun of it. Obviously, this didn't just start kind of overnight, but I feel like for me as a TV writer, I only kind of started hearing about intimacy coordinators maybe like a year or two ago. So how did you kind of get into that training in that arena? Sure. I mean, the training didn't really exist when I started. It was essentially just like a lot of individuals doing research and then sort of like teaming up and going, oh, wait, you're looking into this too? Oh, that's really cool. And it sort of came as a, like when I was doing my fight work, we were always seeing these gaps where the violence would be choreographed. There would be no issues around it. Actors often felt very safe. And it's because there were so many protocols and procedures surrounding, you know, keeping actors safe during violent scenes. However, there were just none when it came to scenes of intimacy. The actors were often relying on the good graces of their scene partners or like the good graces of the director or whoever else was on hand at that point. And there weren't any sort of hard and fast rules or expectations about what you could and couldn't do and what you should and shouldn't do. And I think that the transition from fight work into intimacy work made sense because it was easy to translate one set of protocols sort of into the other. The complicated thing with intimacy versus fights is that any sort of trauma or damage that comes with intimacy work is invisible. So it's really obvious when someone breaks their leg, if a stunt coordinator isn't doing their job right, you know, like that's really clear, it's really obvious. However, if someone's not managing a scene of intimacy well, the damage is invisible and it's not talked about. Yeah. And so you don't even know if harm's been done at that point. So, and I think that it just got lost by the wayside. And there's a little bit of tension because obviously, you know, when you're working with violence, I mean, none of that is real. It's all fake. It's all choreographed. The problem that we have with intimacy is that, you know, when you're kissing someone on screen, you really are kissing them. Like there's hormones that are going through your body that you can't easily control. Now, obviously, you know, if you're doing a fight and you have to access those emotions to make you, you know, really aggressive or angry, like that's one thing, but you're also so embedded in the safety protocols that you know that you're not really going to kill the other person. It's far more blurred with intimacy because yeah. you do have these hormones coursing through your body. And so the complicated thing about that is like, where does it start and where does it stop? And we've got a lot of research into, you know, the personal and the professional because our industry for actors, like we haven't been very good about separating that out. Right from, you know, training with drama schools, you're often living with the people that you're working with. You'll hear phrases like, you know, this is a family, you know, like this theater company, we're a family here. So we're already introducing people into the industry with these very blurred lines Yeah, about what's personal and what's professional. Yeah. I also would think there has to be so much trust between you and the actors and the cast that you work with. What is it like building that trust? Is it, you know, do you have these like one-on-ones with them where you're like, tell me your life story? Like, are you kind of a therapist to them? How does that work? No, I mean, I think the approach differs from intimacy coordinator to intimacy coordinator. I just like to get to know them in the rehearsal room. I'll have one-on-one individual chats so they can let me know if there's anything I need to avoid when I'm choreographing. But essentially, it's sort of, you know, just spending time in the room with them. I never ask an actor about their personal sexual history. That's not important. I don't need to know that to help 
choreograph the scene. They don't learn no, for it to be authentic or real or, you know, on stage. The whole point is, you know, like they are acting and with any, you know, physical skill, whether it's sort of dance or horse riding or stunts, you know, like that's my job is to get them to a place where it looks and feels natural, yeah. even if it's not something they do all day, every day in their personal lives. Yeah. So what got you into this? What made you go, I want to help stage fights in intimacy? Did you love TV growing up? What was it? I always love watching old swashbuckling movies and films. Like that was me growing up. I just loved it. Any sort of fantasy world, like that was just where I wanted to be. So I sort of grew up on things like, you know, Three Musketeers and Star Wars and reading Lord of the Rings and all sorts of fantasy world type stuff. And then like, I thought, oh, you know, it'd be really great to sort of choreograph it because that thing, you know, can be a little bit of a part of that world. And so like, I really sort of started to teach people how to do stage combat and violence on stage and eventually sort of moved into a little bit of doing that for screen. Yeah. And then that's where sort of like the awareness that like there was this gap. That's when it came in at that point. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, Yeah. About six years ago now. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, It seems like now the industry is realizing there's a benefit in having people who do this on set that there's not just a benefit, but I think a clear, better product in the end. I think we're seeing the shows that have intimacy coordinators are getting viewers, they're getting awards, they're the shows people want to talk about. So do you think this is something that's going to become more standard? Do you think it'll be more embraced? I know a lot of people when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to this intimacy coordinator. They were just like, what even is that? That just sounds like some PC nonsense that won't exist years from now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see it going away anytime soon. I do see the focus changing slightly. At the moment, our role seems to sit quite heavily in the advocacy part. However, my hope is that, you know, like in five years time, general advocacy awareness and ability will have risen in production so much that that will actually decrease in our role. And the focus should be where it naturally sits is is as a choreographer. And I think that that's really where this role needs to sit and will have longevity going forward is if it sits where it naturally should. You know, we can advocate for people all day long and that is right and that is good and that is appropriate. But the problem is, is that if an actor withdraws consent for some choreography, we can advocate till, you know, the cows come home. But at the end of the day, we've got to re-choreograph really quickly and we have to rely on our choreography skills to do that. Yeah, I love that. I feel like there's been, I don't know, kind of a rush to tie this position to, you know, what's happening right now in the culture and the Me Too movement and to say, oh, well, this is why this is happening. But like you said, it's just choreography. This is basics of good performance. And I think moving forward, if we all see it that way, that's just best for everyone. Yeah, I think if in five years time, like intimacy coordinators are still like the ones that people see as primary advocates on set, I think we've probably failed at that point the general advocacy of everyone in production needs to get higher because that's the only thing that will change the industry. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's my goal. goal. I love that. (laughs) 
Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. I do want to ask some fun questions outside of all of that. What are just some shows you're watching right now that you're excited about? Is there also anything you ever watch and you're like, they could have used an intimacy coordinator on that? (laughs) (laughs) So first part, what am I watching at the moment? I just finished The Queen's Gambit. I watched that. I'm actually rewatching Dexter at the moment because I know that that was big in the US and uh, I never really watched it when I was in the UK. So I'm getting back into that now. What else have I been watching? That's really oh, interesting. Rainey's Black Bottom. I love oh, that. So good. That movie was amazing. Oh, uh, good. So wonderful so good. performances. I'm curious, when you watch old stuff like Dexter, things that were clearly made before intimacy coordinators were like anything people had in mind, do you like watch certain sex scenes and stuff and go, oh my gosh, this is so old school or like the way a woman will be positioned. Are you like, goodness, we would never do this today? I mean, I think there's like... I don't know. It's one of those things that like we're seeing intimacy on screen so differently now. And that's just because, you know, awareness around what intimacy looks like has, has changed so rapidly within the last three years. Like seriously, like since the Me Too movement, things have changed dramatically. And it's interesting because people are sort of wanting to move away from the almost the unattainable level of like intimacy where everything is just perfect. There's no communication needed between two partners. It's just sort of like this magnetic uh, swirling of you know, <laughs> everything being perfection and nothing being like awkward or funny or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just perfect instant yeah. pining and glances. <laughs> yeah. And I think actually people want to sort of move away. And what they really want is, I feel like people are really interested in seeing the reality of intimate relationships that they know and experience on screen rather than trying to attempt to attain this like unobtainable Hollywood ideal of what intimacy looks like. It's actually flipping at the moment because I think the years people have been like, oh, you know, we want that whirlwind Hollywood romance where no one talks to each other in the bedroom. They just intimate, you know, there's no conversation about, you know, what do you like? There's none of that. It's just, ah, everyone instantly knows. And it's like, oh, that's not real. There needs to be communication. Why are we pretending that there's no communication within intimacy? And so it's really interesting seeing the flip now of people being like, no, that's what we want to see. We want to see what actually happens and what should happen in the bedroom on screen rather than this vision on the screen being absolutely unobtainable and people attempting to reach it and just failing miserably every time and have that affect their personal lives. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I May Destroy You has been a show everyone is talking about Mm -hmm. so much is that the sex scenes are just so clearly realistic and they stop and kind of show those 
just intimate, horrible moments and the positive moments. That to me, I hope is the future of TV. So yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And I think you know we're seeing moves towards that in the writers' room. Just in general, I think that you know people are starting to understand that you know, like, hey, we we want communication in the bedroom. We want examples of positive communication, but also sort of like you know negative communication. Like we just want examples of it. I think it's it doesn't all have to be perfect, but we just have to be moving towards it. Yeah. And are there any shows that you're like, they could have used an intimacy coordinator? <laughs> I mean, I think every show benefits from one. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really do. I'm like at that point where it's difficult for me to watch a show knowing that the actors had a really terrible experience filming yeah. it. I don't necessarily think that they should be like, you know, banned from all time and we you know we should never see it. But for me, it's probably something that I will choose not to watch. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's going to be tough to watch. Yeah, I think you can tell. And especially nowadays when actors will talk about the experience online or on social media and you know, and when you know like an actor says, oh, I wasn't totally comfortable actually with that kiss in that scene. Even if it's later, it takes away from watching it for me too. For me, I know it's not a real show. It's a reality show. But I wish that 90 Day Fiance could use intimacy coordinators. I think it would really help with some of their production value. Yeah, it's weird because when you sort of get into that like reality stuff, that's really difficult because again, like we're about the storytelling of fake relationships. And yeah. so when you're sort of getting into blurring the minds of reality, it's like, yeah. <laughs> to me at that point, like what they really need on that show is more like psychologists or yes. do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> they need psychologists like, that really have been help. Yeah, they need psychologists that are like, okay, let's look into why you want to give your fiance a hand job on camera. And then maybe also intimacy coordinators to go, this is a horrible angle to do this from too. Everyone at home is not, this is, we just should not watch this this way. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's that weird thing of just anytime that anyone is doing anything for real is when I'm like, Ooh, I yeah. want to keep away from it, you know, because. We've got to stick on that. Hey, yeah. we're here to storytell. Because otherwise, you know, we're like, we are getting dangerously close to that adult entertainment industry where stuff is becoming real. And so making sure that we've got that separation between it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. I am so happy we got to talk about the position. Obviously, I'm so excited about shows you have coming up that will have their second season coming out soon. And we're going to get to see more of that work. And, you know, is there anything else you want to speak on on some of the shows you've worked on or any projects that you think really or moments on projects you've worked on that I think really highlight your role in what you do? That's a really good question. You know, I think it's just really exciting to see this role like diversify and for it to become far more inclusive. We're not on every set yet. I hope that that changes. I think that there's the potential with you know all the talk of intimacy coordination now becoming nearly standard that we're starting to see that get there and I think just globally it's really exciting to see the work spread and you know people who have been advocating for actors you know excellent choreographers who've been advocating for actors for years actually feel like they have a role that they can work towards and train for just to sort of be able to have an official title for some of the work that they you know, years, I think that that's really cool because I hope it gives them some validation of what they've been doing. Yeah. Like you said, this isn't something that just sprang up. This is work that people have been sort of collaborating on and building up for years that now is being recognized. And that's so cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just been so many people who've like supported me during this 
time because, you know, like, it can be like rough. You're walking on set and not everyone's pleased to see you. And so, <laughs> especially people who, you know, have been doing sex scenes for a really long time and here you are and they think that, you know, you're there to sort of like take over and step on toes. And, you know, it's really a supportive role. But within that, like, I've been really supported by like the community. I'm working with amazing intimacy coordinator called Josh Parler at the moment. And obviously Alicia Rodas in New York and Denise Davia Johnson. There's just been so many cool people that I really advocate for people looking up and checking out what they're doing because they've been really amazing. So where should people follow you so they can Yeah, there's also a show coming out. Okay. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, uh, Lizzie H. Tolbert, that's with the Y. And same on Instagram. That's probably where I post like most of like the updates and things that are coming out. I uh, also have a company for, called Intimacy for Stage and Screen, which regularly posts about you know what we're up to. And it has a sister company in America called IDC Professionals. So and awesome. So, yeah. so follow Lizzie, Lizzie with a Y on Instagram, Twitter, so you can keep up on all the projects you'll have coming out. I promise you there are some very good, exciting ones that will be out. And thank you so much for being on TVSA today. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, what a wonderful conversation. I had never really thought about intimacy coordination in that way and just how it can be so intricate to the process. So I'm so thankful we were able to have Lizzie on. And obviously, I'm very excited about any show she may be working on that will be out on Netflix. So that is episode 18 of TV I Say with Ashley Ray. I have not actually decided how many episodes I will be doing in a season, but it has become clear to me that it is important for my self-care and mental health that I take breaks. So I don't know, what's like a good podcast episode number for seasons like 22, 24? What do you guys want? Let me know. We're almost there, I guess, because I've done 18 episodes. If you are loving the podcast, Keep listening, keep rating and reviewing. If you want to support, you can on the newsletter or our Patreon TV I Say pod on Twitter and Instagram. Like I said, we have all these tiers. You can support us on Patreon and get me to watch TV with you. If you support the newsletter, you can get that in your inbox every week. Although I did take Black History Month off because like I said, I've been going through it and this is my podcast. I can do what I want. So, you know, hey, but it's March now, so you'll be getting that in your inbox. Hot, fresh TV review opinions right there, you know, so we can talk about it. Thank you so much for listening. This has been TV I Say with Ashley Ray. I will be back next week with another episode and way more serotonin, I believe. Thank you. The TV I Say theme song was made by Rafia Santana, and our artwork was created by Chastity Hyman. TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I Say. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. 
from the producers of America's Favorite Vodka. It turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly.